Hello and welcome to the Convex Conversation with me, broadcaster Helen Fospero. This week we're achieving two firsts for the series, featuring our first Olympic gold medalist and our first dame. But it's triathlete Dame Flora Duffy who's making real history. She was the first woman ever to win an Olympic and world title in the same year, Bermuda's first female Commonwealth Games champion in 2018, and the first person to win Olympic gold for Bermuda, which she did at the 2020 Summer Games in Tokyo. Flora beat 55 women as she swam, cycled and ran 55 kilometres to the finish line, completing the triathlon more than a minute ahead of Great Britain's Georgia Taylor-Brown, who won silver. Born to British parents and raised in Bermuda, Flora started in athletics at the age of seven, and after all the success she's achieved so far, she has the Paris Olympics in her sights in two years' time. I'm delighted to say Flora joins me from Boulder in Colorado. Um, Flora, how I wish today's podcast record was in person. I love that part of the world. Can you describe a bit of where you are for us? Hi, Helen. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And I am sitting here in Boulder, Colorado. It is beautiful place up in the mountains. I'm at about just over 1600 meters high at altitude, which is quite an adjustment. I've only recently got back here about a week ago. So everything is feeling much harder than it should. But yeah, it's just really wonderful up here. It's a great place for triathlon. So many triathletes here. It's it's weird. It's actually normal to be a world champion or an Olympic medalist. It's that kind of place where you're like, oh, that person won, has won a world title. They've got an Olympic medal. And in some way, it's quite wonderful because you're not, you don't stick out, right? You can just kind of get along with your business and um, go about your day training a lot. That's amazing. What makes it so perfect where you are for training for the triathlon then? I know it's, it's, it's interesting how I guess maybe, I don't know if it was 10, 15 years ago, a few triathletes came here or I think endurance sport in general, and then slowly but surely more followed. And then that builds out that there's, you know, great physiotherapists here, massage therapists. It's close to a major international airport. It's at altitude. It's got amazing roads to ride. You can climb up to two, 3,000 meters. The climate's great in the summer. And so I guess it's just, yeah, one or two things. And then suddenly so many people are drawn here and it becomes a bit of a mecca. Yeah, it's really great. I'm so glad that I you know, first came to Boulder almost 10 years ago. I studied here at the University of Colorado and just loved it. And been here ever since training is one of my training bases. And it's actually really cool that there's a couple other Bermudians here now too. So it's kind of kind of funny that a few others have followed here, whether they're into triathlon or cycling, which is super nice. That sounds amazing that you've got this very competitive and, and talented community in your particular sport and what has become your passion. And when we were trying to organise the chat originally, Flora, you've either been in Bermuda, Stellenbosch in South Africa, now Boulder in Colorado. Uh, you mentioned that Boulder fits in because that's one of the places that you train, but where do the other exciting places fit in? <laughs> yes, of course. So those are my three places that I split my time. And I mean, Bermuda, okay, that's the obvious one. That's where I was born and raised. And my um, parents are there, brothers. So yeah, that's nice when I get to like, go home for a little bit throughout the year. And then Stellenbosch, South Africa came about because I married to a South African. We spend part of the year there. We dodge the winter. So we spend sort of December through April there, which is their summer. And then 
come back over here for the Northern Hemisphere summer, which is really great for my career in particular. That means I get to train in pretty nice conditions year round. I have done a few winters here in Colorado when I was studying and it's much nicer if you can dodge it and go somewhere in the Southern Hemisphere. So yeah, it's quite nice to, to, to have three really nice places that I get to spend my time. And am I right in thinking that Dan, your husband, is also a triathlete, so fully understands your discipline and what you do? Yes, yeah, Dan. He also is very similar to me. He grew up doing triathlon. He retired at the end of 2014, which, gosh, seems actually like quite a while ago now that I think about it. But we met here in Boulder, Colorado. He would come over to Boulder to train and do some races in North America. And so, yeah, we met and raced together for a little bit. And then, yeah, he transitioned out of the sport, but again, gets the lifestyle, gets how high performance it is and that, you know, all the details matter and he fully supports me. And it's really great that he can now come to all of my races around the world and fully support me. And yeah, it was incredible. He was there at the Olympics as my accredited coach. He's not my official coach, but he's kind of like maybe my coach that goes to the races. If you can bring one person it's really cool that it can be like your favorite person in the world that can be there and totally knows you inside out and understands the whole sport and everything that goes into it. So yeah, it was like such a calming thing to have him there at the Olympics and probably the, you know, the last person I said got a hug from just before I was like ran onto the start line at the Olympics. Oh, I think then we should just whiz forward. We'll talk about all the other things I was going to mention first. <laughs> and let's whiz forward to the bit that I'm so looking forward to talking about. You've won so many titles. You've competed at the Olympics all over the world. But what was it like, Flora, winning gold for Bermuda, the island where you grew up, and the first ever gold Olympic medal for the island? I mean, I feel a bit choked up even saying it. It's so special. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a really incredible moment. Yeah, it's, it, I guess it's just hard for me to put into words. It, it's like, my, it, it has been my dream since I was literally seven or eight years old when I did my first triathlon. Every little local kids race for triathlon, cycling, swimming, running. And I always, like I said, I want to be an Olympic champion. And like, I don't know, I guess that's kind of like typically a bit of a wild thing for a girl from Bermuda to say. And then you fast forward 20 years or so and boom, it happens. I was the favorite and under all the crazy circumstances of COVID, it being delayed a year, um, we raced in really kind of quite hectic typhoon-like conditions because, of course, a typhoon was passing by the outskirts of Tokyo that day. And yeah, I delivered the perfect race and won Bermuda's first ever gold medal. And I think for me, I had to really block out how much that meant to the island, to everyone there, because... You know, I'm me. I, I was trying to perform and just keep it as calm as possible. And so then after when I did win, it was just like my world exploded. I could not believe how much it meant to everyone. And that's, you know, everyone in Bermuda, the island itself, but people from all around the world. Because I think everyone tunes into the Olympics because in some way it resonates with everyone. So they all watch the Olympics every four years. Okay, five years in this case. And it was just incredible because I won some pretty big races, but nothing could possibly compare. That's just really special when you're an athlete and the win can be so much bigger than just, you know, winning the actual gold medal. 
And of course, uh, you know, another place in the history books, which is wonderful. I've never been to Bermuda. I'd love to go at some point. It's a small island, home to about 64,000 residents. And just to give people a sense of size, I think 15 times smaller than New York. No athlete had won a medal in the Olympics since 1976, which was a bronze. So although for the actual race itself and the event itself, it sounds like you managed to put yourself in your mission bubble, if you like, and not think about the expectation. What about in the lead up? Did you feel the pressure and the expectation in perhaps not just the months before, but the years before? And I just wondered if so, how you dealt with that or how you coped with it? Oh yeah, totally. No, trust me, there wasn't a day where I was not reminded about the Olympics looming, how I was a favorite and everything that goes along that. So it was definitely, yeah, on my mind and something I had to really manage in those years leading into the Olympics. And I think really get comfortable with the fact that, yes, I am the Olympic favorite and get comfortable with everything that comes along with that because it is a lot. And people, in a strange way, because you're sort of, you know, as an athlete, you are a bit of a public figure and people think they can sort of, I guess, ask you anything or tell you, you know, anything. And so perhaps don't really realize like what a weight it is, you know, like on my shoulders. So it was something that I had to manage it and get comfortable with being like, yes, I'm the Olympic favorite and I'm comfortable in that space and I believe I can do it. But yeah, so I'm very glad that that is done and I don't get reminded about it every single day (laughs) and uh, I can move on, although Paris is not too far away, so I'm sure it will all start up again, but it feels a a lot easier now that, you know, I have won the medal and that weight is off my shoulders and it's just, yeah, beautiful moment that I can celebrate and really enjoy with everybody. And of course, Paris would be another beautiful moment if you're up there on the podium and you get gold again. But as you say, that pressure's slightly different now. You've got Bermuda in the history books, haven't you, for that first gold medal, which was wonderful. Just going into a bit more detail about Tokyo, because I really am fascinated by your sport and your discipline, Flora, and how you manage it. Going back to the actual event, I gather overnight rain in Tokyo delayed the start by 15 minutes because of slippery conditions. How do you feel inside? in the lead up and and how was that delay is that a bit nerve-wracking when things like that happen or is that something that you're really used to you know in a certain level you want to always be able to just kind of go with the flow of whatever the conditions are going to be or whatever circumstances come up when you're at a race but I must say when it's at the Olympics and you're already under this kind of like weird intense like pressure because you're in a COVID Olympics where anything can happen in that regard of testing positive or You're managing that. And then two days before our race, we had our race briefing. And that was when we were first told, look, there's a typhoon that will be passing on the outskirts of Tokyo on your race day. So your race might be delayed two days. Now that... I can, I'm usually pretty, you know, pretty comfortable going with the flow, but that definitely took me and like nearly threw me of just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like... We've gotten here and now you're saying we might be delayed another two days. So that was definitely something to process and talk through. Luckily, I had Dan there and you know, I could talk through everything. He definitely kept me calm. And we found out later that day because they were going to make a decision at 5 p.m. of whether the race was going to happen on the planned race day. And so, yeah, we heard at 5 p.m. So you're kind of like just like waiting around until like that time to find out. 
And yes, they decided, yep, the weather would be okay enough. We can hold the race as planned. But then waking up that morning, so I woke up at, I think, like 3 a.m. because the race was meant to start at 6.30 and I eat three hours before. But we wake up and the wind is just lashing the building and the rain. And we are just like, oh my gosh, this is not what we expected. (laughs) I mean, Tokyo, we expected hot, humid, sunny, maybe a bit of a breeze, but you know, and then it's completely the other conditions. And it was just like, all right, here we go. Luckily, I'm pretty comfortable and confident racing in the rain and on a technical course. So I wasn't worried about that aspect, which was very lucky. I think a lot of people were like really quite shaken and worried about that. But just that, you know, I'd envisioned this day for so long that these were not the conditions I ever thought we would be racing in. And then, yeah, when we got down to the race venue, they said that the start is going to be delayed 15 minutes because a major weather band is rolling in and we need that to clear and then you can start. And it's just like, oh my gosh. And then we had all this cooling stuff like an ice vest, ice towels, like to keep my core temperature down before the race start. Because again, we are expecting it to be hot and humid. None of that was used. I had like Dan's big like raincoat on. I had a couple of warm towels on me. I had shoes on. And I wore that all the way down onto the pontoon and took it off a minute before the start, which again, instead of trying to stay cool, I was trying to stay warm, like completely the opposite. So it's like so many moving parts that you weren't expecting. And thankfully, I've been racing for so long that I could kind of just go with it and use my experience. But yeah, the day definitely threw a lot of curveballs at us. Oh, it sounds like it did. And once it got underway, I hope I've got the phrasing right here that you took control after the first four laps. And I don't really understand laps because obviously you're cycling and you're running and you're swimming. So maybe explain that. But when you do take the lead, presumably then you're aware you've got the lead. So how do you pace yourself and keep that energy and motivation and the right speed going for an hour and 55 minutes? Yes. So the race, it played out pretty perfectly for me. And I was also lucky. I was just physically feeling great. And having one of those days you sort of always dream of as a professional athlete where all of your training and work you've put in all comes together on that one day. And so, yeah, I executed a great swim. I knew this swim was going to be so crucial for how the rest of the race was going to play out. And so, yeah, I came out of the swim in the front group and saw who I was with and knew these are exactly the women that I would, you know, want to be working with on the bike. I've raced them many times before and I just know they're strong riders. They're great on this technical course in the rain. And yeah, we just worked together pretty well. I felt good so I could, you know, ride hard, but ride within myself and just focus on staying on my bike. Because to be honest, that was the most nerve wracking part. When you're on the last lap, you're like, okay, don't do anything stupid. Like you've gotten through 95% of this bike, don't mess up. And I think for people watching, like my parents, I think they were just like watching like through their fingers, you know, like couldn't fully see it. Cause it looks so much scarier when you're watching on TV than actually, you know, being in control in the race. And then, yeah, onto the run, I was pretty confident in my running. And so I just, pushed the pace early from the start and it was a four lap run. And so by the first lap, we came through the transition area and there's a big screen that's showing the race, but it also showed your splits. And so as I was kind of running out of that zone, I could see that the second place had entered and I could see I had like a 15 second gap, let's say. And so I was like, okay, that's good. 
and then came through the second lap and I saw it was closer to 40 seconds or something. And so in my mind, that was like the first moment I knew, okay, it is very, very likely you're going to win this race. And I've led many big races before, but nothing can prepare you for leading the Olympics and have you have 5Ks left to run where I felt fine physically, but then suddenly your mind's like, do I still feel okay? Am I pushing it too hard? And so I just had to almost just let my body just run and focus my mind on other things of like counting the aid stations that I have left to go, focusing on my running form, just anything to sort of distract me from the fact that I was going to win this race. And that's like one of the more difficult things to manage that day. And so finally with about 800 meters to go, I saw Dan for the final time because he was in a coaching area gave him a little smile and then you simultaneously want this to end because you're like, you know, there's so much emotion going through you that you're like, this race just needs to end and it needs to like happen and I'm an Olympic champion. But at the same time, you're like, I may never have this moment again. I need to really soak it in. It was just kind of crazy mix of emotions and yeah, really special moments across the line and um, take the gold. Dan's heart must have been bursting with pride because, of course, he would know that unless any any catastrophe happened that you were going to be on that podium with gold. But you swam, you cycled and ran your way to the finish line with an incredible time of one hour, 55 minutes and 36 seconds. We won't forget those 36 seconds. And that, in the end, Flora, was more than a minute ahead of Britain's Georgia Taylor-Brown, who won silver. So it's extraordinary that there was that kind of gap. And as you crossed the line, can you remember what it felt like? Or was it just a complete explosion of emotions, relief you'd (laughs) finished it and joy and probably a few tears, I'm guessing, along the way? Yeah, no, certainly, definitely, you know, all of those emotions. But I can also remember because Because it was COVID and there wasn't spectators. I mean, luckily, like a lot of locals came out and they watched on the street, but the grandstand was pretty much empty. And so I finished and it's just me and then a bunch of photographers. And there's like no one in the stand. So I was just like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do? Like, it was just, you know, it's such an overwhelming moment for myself. And then you look and you have all of these cameras on you. So I can definitely remember that. So I just like put my hands on my face and I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> while you're trying to feel all of these emotions and take in this moment. I can look back at pictures now and I think things have like kind of quietened down for me a little bit and just look back and be like, wow, like it's just so incredible that 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 it happened and that's me and yeah it's just so special and the pride as well on the podium and listening to presumably the national anthem for Bermuda I'm guessing you listened to that must have been a a very special moment too having made such an achievement for them and and earning that place for Bermuda in history Mm -hmm. yeah no for sure for me the always the most special moment is when they raise the flags and you see Bermuda's flag like small Bermuda at the top of the flagpole and in this instance Katie Seferis was third from US and then Georgia Taylor Brown second from Great Britain and so you have those two flags sort of there in contrast of these massive countries and then you have their Bermuda on top and it's just I don't know always just such a beautiful thing to see. And in Bermuda, I gather you've got a road, a sports stadium and a run (laughs) named after you. So that really shows how proud they are. Oh my gosh, I know when, so after I won, I think like a whole committee was elected to decide, okay, how are we going to celebrate Flora's gold medal? 
And I had nothing to do with it. So I kept hearing what was going to happen. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like, <laughs> it's going to be so much. But um, yeah, it's really cool. So Corkscrew Hill is now Flora Duffy Hill. And that's really cool because the World Triathlon Series race that happens in Bermuda, we ride up that hill. So I've actually won that race. So I've ridden up that hill many times. So now this year when the race happens in Bermuda, we're going to go up Flora Duffy Hill, <laughs> which is nice. kind of cool and also a little bit ridiculous. And then, yeah, Bermuda really pulled out all the stops to to celebrate the gold medal, which was incredibly cool. And for me, when I was at home in October doing the whole celebration tour, I guess I could call it, what struck me the most is how really how much emotionally it meant to so many people. And that was really cool and I guess, yeah, really powerful of how this medal meant so much to people for various different reasons. Yeah, just such such a beautiful moment. I was fascinated in the introduction. I said you started athletics at seven and I thought I'd got it wrong when I read that you actually started triathlon at seven. I didn't know you could start it so young and I'd certainly never heard of it until I was a lot older than that. What was it, Flora, that got you into triathlon in the first place and at such a tender age? I know it's crazy. I look back at the photos of me as a seven-year-old doing my triathlon on this, like my little mountain bike and a big foam helmet and in my little like bathing suit bikini or whatever. And yeah, for whatever reason, Bermuda has a really great triathlon scene. There's so many local triathlons throughout the summer. And my first race was Iron Kids Triathlon, which still goes on to this day. And you'll get like 500 kids that turn up to the race and they do it, whether they've done a race before or not. It's really pretty incredible. But I decided to do a race because I was in a local swim club. I really liked swimming. And then I was in the like a, the running club at primary school and I knew how to ride a bike. So I guess my parents just entered me. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. And the next week I joined the local triathlon club, Triheads, which again is still going on to this day. And that was it. I was just kind of hooked. That was my childhood, just doing all the local triathlons and the swim meets and the running races. And then once a year, the tri club would go abroad to do a race, whether it be in the US or Canada. And so like, that was super fun because we got to go over to Chicago or something, do a big race and yeah, I don't know. I just loved it. And was it, I know you're born to British parents. Was it Bermuda a wonderful place to grow up? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's super <laughs> nice to grow up. My parents moved over in their 20s and they met married and they've lived in Bermuda for whew, probably close to 45, 50 years. Maybe that's a long time. 40 years? Yeah, a very long time. So yeah, I'm very grateful that that's where I was born and raised. I mean, yeah, it's a beautiful island. The beaches are incredible crystal clear water, beautiful climate, warm climate. So I'm super happy that that's where I'm from. That's where home is. And you did actually come over to Devon, didn't you? And do a little bit of schooling here in your teenage years. But I can understand why you don't run for Britain being born in Bermuda and growing up there. I mean, that's the place to represent, isn't it? I guess that's home for you, much as we'd like you to race for Britain, obviously. Yes, no, for sure. I mean, Bermuda's my home, but it's, you know, where I was born and raised and have all my, you know, memories and really resonates the most with me. So I did go over to boarding school in Devon. I wanted to yeah, pursue triathlon more. And so that was a great opportunity. Every holiday I had, I went back to Bermuda and it's definitely just, yeah, where I feel the most at home. 
and yeah, so proud to represent the island. Can you give us a sense, a little bit, Flora, of the training that's involved and whether out of the swimming, running and cycling, you have a favourite or there's a one of those disciplines that you're like, oh God, I've got to do this today and it's a bit of a struggle. Give us an insight into how you prepare. Yeah, so my training week is roughly 25 hours of training and that's kind of broken down into yeah, swim, bike, run. So, and then a couple gym sessions. And then of course you have to add in the massage, physiotherapy, everything to keep my body in one piece. I would say, okay, my least favorite is swimming always. I'm always like, oh, here we go. I don't really know why, because I get to swim in most of the time, really beautiful pools and locations, but I think everyone can kind of resonate with that of swimming. And then, yeah, tie between what I like the most is probably either the bike or the run. And when you break it down into those training modules, do you mean that you do swim and cycle and run each time or do you break them into one day you're swimming and another day you're riding your bike? Is it broken down in individual sports? Yeah. So each, I follow a pretty detailed training plan and sort of each day is is the same kind of week on week, whether they're harder days or easier days. Yeah. So the, today we're speaking here on a Wednesday and I've actually just gotten back from a hard swim. And after this, I will go for a ride which is about two hours and thankfully just pretty easy. And then I have a gym session later in the day. But then tomorrow is a really hard day of swim, bike and run, broken down at various intensities, but it's pretty solid. So I'm kind of, if I'm not training, I'm either napping or I'm eating and fueling and getting ready for the next session. And my week sort of breaks down. I'll swim roughly 23 to 25 Ks a week, ride 10 to 12 hours a week and run about 60 to 65 kilometers a week and then two gym sessions so it keeps me pretty busy (laughs) and presumably nutrition as well keeps you busy does it I would imagine your diet's controlled and and you know the right things to fuel your body properly to keep it going Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah the fueling is a big part yeah you definitely need to eat a lot and you eat a lot of the good stuff and make sure you're getting enough you know protein and carbs in so that you can kind of like really back up each day to day of training but yeah it's a lot of eating, <laughs> which is not a bad thing, but sometimes I get kind of tired. I'm like, oh, I have to eat again. <laughs> and, and what about mentally? What drives you? And can you give us an insight into the mentality and the mindset that keeps you strong and determined and, and up there as, as a winner? Yeah, I think, think for me, I'm actually at a really interesting point in that regard in that up until Tokyo, the Olympics was my main driving force and I could really get me out of bed each day, get me through each injury work to do all the little details because that was the goal to get to Tokyo and to win a medal. And so now that I've achieved that, I'm kind of, yeah, at a point of figuring out, okay, well, what's next? Okay, yes, I still do really love to do triathlon and I enjoy the lifestyle, but to really keep myself at the top of the game, what's going to drive me and and fuel me for that. So yeah, I think I'm kind of like sort of trying to figure that out and not to put too much pressure on myself to have, you know, this great intensity perhaps this year, because I think it is important for me to almost step back a little bit enjoy the sport, race hard, but take a little bit of that like extreme intensity out that I had these few years building up to Tokyo because I mean, it is really exhausting and a lot, a lot to deal with. But before Tokyo, I said I would never do another Olympics. And then of course, a few, you know, a few months removed, I thought, okay, you know, I think it would be kind of cool to go to Paris because hopefully I can have all my friends and family there. 
and I'll be able to be in a place where I can maybe really soak it in and take it all in. And it'll be my final Olympics. So I'm kind of allowing that to start to really sink in and prepare myself for the the major push to that, which will be very intense and keep me focused because, yeah, it's, I really enjoy it. But it's hard. So I'm feeling the do, pressure yeah, for you now because you've just put the pressure back on <laughs> by saying it's your final Olympics. So I know exactly where you want to be on that podium in Paris. <laughs> and um, I've no doubt that you're so determined and work so hard that, you know, I'm sure it's within your gift. But you mentioned injuries there. I suppose that's a, a sidebar of what you do, isn't it? Have you ever been really seriously injured or are you dealing with sort of niggly injuries just from putting your body through so much on a regular basis in training? Yeah, that's that's like the fine line that we walk of being really fit or really injured. And I think for me, I have some pretty serious injuries in my career. 2018 and 19, I had a really serious foot injury, sort of the second half of 2018 into most of 2019, which was highly stressful. It was in an area where it's in my foot where it's really tricky to heal. Um, it doesn't get much blood flow and you're doing everything you possibly can, chucking all the resources at it and it's just not healing and it's just very highly stressful. Then you didn't know the Olympics was being postponed a year, but the 2020 Olympics was ever increasingly getting closer and I was a favorite and I was quite injured. And so it was all just kind of like compounding on me. So that was a really tricky time to deal with an injury. Thankfully, I came through it. It's so weird. There's points where you're like, I'm never going to be able to run again. My foot's never going to feel good. And you know, now knock on wood, that injury doesn't even bother me at all. The body is pretty amazing in that way. But um, yes, I tried to do a lot of prevention to not get injured and really invest a lot in physiotherapy and massage to keep myself healthy. Because yeah, we do put our bodies through a lot and there is always something and I am not getting any younger. So I have to uh, really value that side. <laughs> I've got socks your age, Flora. I'm definitely so much, so much older than you. But I do know what you mean because for your sport, nearly mid thirties, that that's older in your sport, isn't it? And each each event that happens each year, you're another year older, and it's your body that you're putting through so much. Do you ever have days? I know how much you love your training. Do you ever have hard days where you really need that encouragement from Dan to get on the bike or get out and do that? run you know sometimes I don't know whether it be poor weather or just exhaustion do you sometimes need to talk to yourself and say come on I've got to get out there and do that oh my gosh yes absolutely we should have Dan on to answer that question he could probably tell you a lot <laughs> um, but totally and I think that's so normal across the board Sometimes people get this false sense that, oh, because, you know, she's winning so much, performing so well, she must never have bad days or days she doesn't want to do it. But I mean, of course, we all do. It's part of the process and being able to turn it around and frame it in a, in a, in a positive light to get yourself out the door can be really tricky and tough to do sometimes. But almost all the time, once I get myself out the door, even if I'm super dreading it and hating it, it turns around pretty quickly and I'm always, always glad I got myself out the door to get that session done. You've told us what you did today, what you're doing tomorrow. Which event are you focused on now? Or is this all building up, even though Paris is 2024, is this all building up to Paris? Or have you got something special that you're aiming for before that? 
Yes, yeah, so sure. You know, all of this does play a long role in the build to Paris, but more pressing as I have the Commonwealth Games this year, that's at the end of July. So that's a big focus for me. I won in 2018, so I'll be going in as a defending champion, which is quite exciting. So I would love to defend that title. I'm gearing up for that. But before that, I'll be opening my season in three weeks time in Yokohama, Japan. So back to Japan where I have great memories. And yeah, that will be the start of my season. And it's funny, we were talking about age earlier. I'm actually a little bit worried that I might be the oldest on the start line. So my goodness, there we go. But well, that's that's a a challenge in (laughs) itself. When you go to these, when you go to these amazing places like Tokyo, do you ever get a little bit of downtime afterwards so that you and Dan can do a bit of sightseeing or, or relax and and explore? Or is it on to the next training session and home to get your head down and work hard? Yeah, it's mostly pretty fly in, fly out. You don't get to see too much, but in terms of Yokohama and the race in Japan, I've raced there a few times. So we kind of know a few nice food places. And there's this one delicious bakery that's just so incredible, really close to the hotel. So we will go there. And that's a huge highlight. You know, we can't do too much sightseeing, but we can go to this little favorite bakery of ours. And that kind of like can really make the trip as well. As well as Tokyo, you've competed in the Olympics in Beijing, London and Rio. And I just wondered if you could share with us memories from each of those cities, whether they be a memory from the actual event or or something you saw or did. How do you look back? What are the highlights of Beijing, London and Rio? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I have competed in four Olympic Games and they're interesting because they all kind of like track my development both as an athlete and as a person. My first Games was in Beijing and I was 20 years old. For me it was totally like this massive like crazy experience and I can just remember you know being in the village and seeing all these like incredible athletes and just my mind being blown by this experience and I didn't have the greatest race so that was a big learning achievement for me. And then we go into London, which was incredible because just the whole country just was like so excited for the game. So I can just remember the atmosphere was just so special. We raced in Hyde Park and the streets were just lined with people. So even though I unfortunately crashed, I have such fond memories of that because just the whole atmosphere and the experience was, yeah, truly special. And I got to watch a lot of other events which was really cool. So I felt like I really could experience more of the Olympics than just my race, being in the village. And then Rio, that was my first time I was going in as a medal favorite, an outside medal favorite, but spoken about that could possibly win a medal. And that's a whole another dimension when you're in that field. For me, that was a big learning experience of how to get comfortable with that pressure and expectation and being talked about, which was super valuable for me going into Tokyo because I felt like I'd kind of been through it and I learned a lot. But also with Rio, we raced on Copacabana Beach. I mean, it's like this, you know, incredible, iconic location. So for Rio, that really stands out for me. And then, yeah, I mean, Tokyo, it kind of was like, it all came together. Everything I'd, you know, worked and dreamed of came together, even though the strangest games, because there was no spectators and you had all these protocols you're tested for COVID every single day and and this you know overlying fear of testing positive and everything being just done just like that but at the same time it was almost really special that it was just kind of Dan and I there and we could really share that moment together the two of us. 
What was the tipping point when you said you thought about Paris? So you thought Tokyo might be your last Olympics. And then a few months later, you thought about it and decided you would do Paris 2024. I can't believe actually I asked if, if you were training for that now. That was a bit daft. <laughs> but, but it's not a sport <laughs> no, but they, I know. They, all, the years, all the years are important in being consistent and building up for it. So it's not. You were very kind because you didn't make me sound silly at that point. <laughs> um, but as you say, it, it's for the long game too, isn't it? But what was the tipping point? What conversations were you having with Dan or, or what was going through your mind that actually made you think, you know what, actually, I do want to do Paris? Yeah, well, when, when I said Tokyo was my last Olympics, that was probably within four weeks of the race. So I was like, major in the full-on training, full-on pressure, like this is coming up, like never doing this again. Yeah, I guess you get removed and it's only, well, it was three years now, it's only, what, two years, which is not a lot of time at all. So I just thought, well, I'm still enjoying racing this format. I still think I can be competitive. It would be, yeah, just a cool way to end my career and hopefully, as I said, have friends and family that are there to celebrate with me because I really miss that piece in Tokyo. And I think it also does make a difference now that I have won a medal that a lot of the pressure is off. I mean, if you get to defend with double gold, I mean, that would be insane or just get on the podium, but I've achieved what I've wanted. And so I could hopefully go into Paris with a different mindset and really just soak up the moment and be really present. Because I think in Tokyo, it was so focused that I kind of like missed a lot of the other wonderful things that go along with going to the Olympics. I think it'll be a privilege to defend your title. And as you say, you, you've got there now and you've got that amazing gold medal. Where is your gold medal, by the way? <laughs> Actually, I have it and it's just well behind me on the one of our shelves. And I got this beautiful Bermuda cedar box made. It actually got gifted to me from the Bermuda Triathlon Association. It smells incredible. And anyway, my medal and a few other bits and pieces that were special from the games are in that box. So it's kind of kept nicely, but it is just kind of like hanging out on a shelf. That's cool. I'm glad it's hanging out on a shelf. I'm glad it's not in the loo or anywhere like that where some people put it. No, no, no. It wouldn't seem very (laughs) fitting, really. Talking back about Bermuda, you launched the Flora Fund just days after winning the inaugural WTS in Bermuda. I think it was about four years ago. Just explain to us what the idea behind the fund is and some examples of how it helps young people on the island. Yep. So we launched the Flora Fund in 2018 and I realized how much work and investment and resources were needed for me to perform and get to this level. And I realized that not everyone has that. And so I had this platform and wanted to give back to the community that's given me so much. So launched the Flora Fund and that is the goal is to help young athletes stay in the sport, achieve their dreams and help them in any way that we can. So helped various number of athletes now from whether they're tennis players, football players, triathletes, and that can be, you know, them needing funds to go to an overseas race or funds to help contribute with their school fees because they're at a sport-specific school where they get to train and study. It can be something big, something little, but just a way to keep kids, young athletes in sport. Just realized sport opened so many doors for me. And so, yeah, I just wanted to give back and help. Even if it just helps one person get to another level, that's just, yeah, so meaningful and 
privilege to have this platform to do so. So I hope to continue to keep building it out and supporting as many Bermudian athletes as possible, which has been really special. And the other thing that happens on Bermuda is the Convex end-to-end event, which is in its 35th year and it takes place in a few days' time in Bermuda. I know it's 40 kilometres and involves walking or swimming, I think, or getting from one end of the island to the other. But tell us a bit about the end-to-end event. Yeah, so the end-to-end event, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if it goes from St. George's to Dockyard or Dockyard to St. George's, but yes, it goes the entire length of Bermuda. And it started with it just, it being predominantly like a walk. And then as it's grown, there's a bike division. I think some people swim, which I don't even know how long that is. That sounds crazy. But yeah, I think it's just a, it's a great event to get everyone in the community out there being active and quite a cool achievement really to walk from one end of the island to the next. So yeah, it's a pretty cool event that has been going on in Bermuda for many, many years. Just encourage as many people to get out as possible to do that and explore the island and achieve something pretty cool of walking the entire length of Bermuda. I bet it's a good atmosphere, is it? Oh yeah, because I mean, you know, all sorts of people come out and then people come out to watch because it just kind of, you know, goes by so many people's houses. So there's, yeah, all these, you know, people cheering and probably shouting a little bit of abuse if they see a friend, a (laughs) bit of banter and yeah, playing music. Just, yeah, a really good time and a good way to spend a day in Bermuda. We've established, Flora, that you're a youngster to me at just 34, but you're also a dame. How much does that mean to you? Yeah, the dame, that's, yeah, it's extremely special. I don't think that one... That one's taking some time to really sink in. I was so surprised when I got the call from the governor to let me know I was being nominated. And then when I was announced on the Queen's New Year's honors list in January. Yeah, absolutely crazy. And I just actually got formally announced on the Commonwealth Games team for Bermuda. And it's, you know, Dame Flora Duffy. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. (laughs) Like, it's, yeah, it's really cool how it's something that it, it really gets used and so, yeah, it's pretty special. And um, Does yeah, Dan tease proud. you at all? I mean, you know, when the dishwasher needs <laughs> emptying and, you know, does he call you dame sometimes in, in jest? Uh, no, yeah, he actually hasn't. But quite a few people are like, oh, do, do I need to bow or curtsy in front of you now? Like, you know, they give me a hard time like that. And I'm like, oh, man. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, Dame Flora, I'd like to say to you a very massive thank you for interrupting training in Boulder and Colorado to talk to us about your incredible achievements and for giving us an insight in what it takes to be a gold medalist. We'll be watching your progress and wish you the best of luck in the Commonwealth Games. And of course, we'll have all eyes on you in Paris 2024. It's been really, really nice, Flora, finding out a lot more about the triathlon and uh, it's been fun talking to you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's been really nice. You've been listening to Dame Flora Duffy talking about her Olympic adventures, what drives her, how she prepares for events like the Paris Summer Games and the Commonwealth Games, which are looming. And Flora, of course, has her place in the history books, being the first person ever to win Olympic gold for Bermuda, where she grew up. Don't forget to download and subscribe to our podcast series at convex.podbean.com or search The Convex Conversation on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to yours. I'll be back next week with another fascinating guest, not one that will be running about 64 kilometres this week, I don't think, but do join in then. It definitely will be somebody interesting. Bye for now. Bye for now.